Okay. Good morning, gentlemen. We're in the middle of a story. We're going to have to go back a little bit to get this, to restart this story. Uh, not just the story, but the idea of the um, importance of avoiding bribery or anything that looks like that. Uh, we find that uh, Torah speaks of it in very strong terms. Uh, and the Gemara yesterday even said that there's bribery, not even with money, with just words, which is amazing, because who doesn't, you know, uh, um, say nice words to try to get favor with somebody? As compared to Hanif, maybe. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. right. Rashi used that word, Hanif, even. Yeah, I'm just wondering. Well, not every Hanif. It's only with a judge that it would be called bribery. If it's not a judge, then technically he's not a litigant. You know, it's just Hanifa. But let's begin the story. Rev Anan, Aisi Leahu Gavra, Kanta de Gildi. It's at the, we're on 105b, Kuf Hayamid Beis, about eight lines up at the two dots. Rev Anan was a judge, and a person brought him a Kanta de Gildi de Begili. He brought him a bowl of uh, a fish. He brought him some good small fish. He brought him some herring. So, Omele, Maya Videtech. And uh, interesting, in all these cases, they, the judges know right away, like, who are you? You know, what person you don't know, a stranger, has given you something. So he says, What do you do? What are you doing here? Omele, Dina Isli. He said, Well, I'm here because I have a case in front of you. He said, sorry, I can't take your fish. Um, not only can I not take your fish, and there's, I'm not, it's illegal now for me to judge you. I'm, I'm invalid. He said, all right, I'll, I accept that you won't judge me, but you should at least accept my fish. Even if you won't give me judgment, if you don't accept my fish, you're not letting me get the great mitzvah of offering first fruits. And uh, where do I know this from? The Tanya. It says like this. And this is with Elisha Anavi, this Pasuk. What happened was uh, he had a, uh, we're going to see more about this coming up today, but there were hundreds of students in his Navi school. And uh, it was a time where there was famine and there was not a lot of food around. And he had to, to make sure they had what to eat. And somebody came and uh, brought them some food. A man, uh, he, a person came from Baushlish and he brought them bread of the first fruits, Esrim Lechem, 20 loaves of barley and caramel and siklog. So the question was, Everything is good in that pasuk except the word bikurim, first fruits. To just say he gave a donation, he brought food. bikurim havi, and maybe what he brought was first fruits, but that can't be because Elisha didn't eat bikurim, as Rashi says. Elisha wasn't a kohen. El lomerlach, it's coming to tell you a different concept. Kol maybe doran anybody that brings a gift to a Torah scholar kiilu makriv bikurim. It's, it's as if he offered Bikurim to Hashem. So here also, I'm giving this as a gift to you. Um, so Omar Leh, he said to him, Kabuli lo de Really, I didn't want to receive things. I normally don't take gifts. 
But hashda, I'm asleep time, but now that you've said to me what your intent is, that I'm doing you the favor, so to speak, you really have wanted to bring this offering, uh, bring your fish to the Kohen, uh, to the Torah scholar, so therefore he accepted it. There is a Tosus here. Let's take a look at the bottom Tosus. Uh, he says, I don't see why Rashi had to go so far with this and say uh, that Elisha wasn't a Kohen. Wait a second. There's another problem here, and that is that this didn't take place in Yerushalayim in the Beis Hamikdash. This took place in Shomron with the Ten Tribes. If this was real Bikurim, it, it had to be eaten in the wall of the base of Migdosh. And what it says over there is that giving Tamid Chokham in Kaporli Israel, even not in the base of Migdosh. But ki Elisha over Kurim, halo ain't sham mikdash, v'lo mizbeach, v'lo kain gadol, al Elisha v'tamid Yosha lefanav. He's bringing that. Basically, you don't have to prove that Elisha wasn't a kohen, even if he was a kohen. He wasn't in the base of mikdash. <laughs> it was the wrong place in the wrong spot. So, in order to, it, he's, he's just saying Rashi went into an area that he didn't need to go into. He could have just said that this was not the base of mikdash bikurim. This is the giving of the Tamil Chachamim Bikurim. It's a different kind of Bikurim. Um, it was, uh, no, it was during Bayez Rishon, but it was, in the, and he was in the Seres Ashvatim. Yeah, Eliyahu's main disciple, right. right. They were still Malachim then, those were the Malchim Yisrael. No, but that was during Bayes Rishon. So, because because the Seres Hashvatim didn't have a, a. It was an alternative. Uh, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't serve Hashem in Yerushalayim. They had Bezel uh, with it, and Dana Bezel. Yeah, right. That's right. No. You're saying it doesn't even have to say that you're not a coin gadol. There just wasn't a whole. There was no place really to bring bikurim. No institution. No institution. Yeah, that's what Tosa's question is. Okay. Any rate, that's really. Good morning, Michael. We are at the bottom of 105 B two lines from the bottom. So uh, and Rev Anand just uh, accepted the gift, but refused to judge uh, the person who brought the fish. So, Shadrach Kamei Rav Nachman. So Rav Anan then sent this uh, litigant into a different court that was run by Rabbi Nachman. Shokule, and he sent him the following: Nidana Mar Lahai Gavra, do me a favor, judge this. He didn't use those words, do me a favor, but it was understood. You should judge this person. The Anna Anna. Now, don't think that I'm being lazy in sending him to you. I'm invalid to judge him. So you you are valid. You judge him. That was the note that he sent Rev Nachman. Now, Rev Nachman gets this note from the great Rev Anin. So he said, Since he sent to me that he's invalid, why would he be invalid? He must be, he's a relative of his. So uh, there's a mitzvah to show honor to a Talmud Chacham. And if this is a relative of Rev Anin's, 
So that means I should give him priority uh, because he's Rabbi Anan's uh, relatives. So Havikoim Dinadiyasme Kame. At that moment, he had a, an important case of orphans in front of him, and uh, they were next in line. So Omer, he said, What should I do? Hi, essay, there's a mitzvah essay to be a judge and to give the judge the orphans. We're on the top line of Kufavam and Aleph. On the other hand, there's a mitzvah assay to uh, show respect to Tamidah Chachamim. Uh, and this is Reb Anand's relative. It's, uh, you see from here an interesting thing that doing, uh, even doing a favor for a Talmud Chacham's relative, if it'll somehow uh, show your respect to the Talmud Chacham, you're going to get credit for the mitzvah, right? So he says, uh, that's an essay and that's an essay. Assay kavut Torah adif. The Kavadah Torah is greater. So Saladin the Yasme, he put the, the, uh, the orphan's case out of the docket, and he brought in, he says, oh, Rabbanan's, Rabbanan's relative, and he right away judged the other person. Now, the person who was suing the uh, person who brought the fish, he saw that the judge showed favoritism to the one that had brought, come to Rabbanan, he was afraid to speak up. It's very, um, a, a person, when he sees the judge, likes the other side, gets very nervous and, and, and loses, yeah, he loses his confidence. And uh, apparently he didn't say what he needed to say. So that case didn't come out the way it should have. Uh, now, the person who Rev Anand apparently made the mistake of, of either writing the note that way, not giving enough details, or of accepting the gift. So Revanan Haviraga Eliyahu da Aslagabe. Revanan used to get visits from Eliyahu. Most people say this is Eliyahu Anavi. We are uh, uh, five lines from the top on Kufbav Amaralif. And uh, we're explaining because of what happened with Revanan. He didn't do this on purpose. He, he really just meant to say, I can't judge because I took a gift. But he didn't say that. He just said, I can't judge. And therefore, uh, Rav Nachman thought Kavadah Torah would have him do Rav Anand's case first. So Eliyahu was disappointed in Rav Anand. So Eliyahu, who used to come learn with Rav Anand every day, um, uh, he was teaching him the study known as the teachings of Eliyahu. But since Rev Anand did this, uh, this one case where there wasn't proper justice, he stopped coming. I'm not visiting Rev Anand anymore. I'm not having anything to do with him. Uh, so, Yosef Betaniso, Rev Anand fasted. A boy, Rachme, and he davened. He wanted Eliyahu back. And he came back. He also But when he came back, he scared. He was a very scary. So this is interesting. Elio can come back as a human, or he can come back as an angel. Angels are scary. Uh, somehow our neshamas don't want to stay in our bodies when they see angels. Uh, every instance in Tanakh where a person sees an angel, he feels like he's going to die. It's like really scary angels. So of the Tevusa. He made a box, and he sat in the box, and this way he learned with Elio like he did before. Ad Apigle Sidra, till he finished the teaching of Elio. 
and they differentiate between the first learning outside the box, you've got to think outside the box, and the second learning inside the box, that's Elio Rabba Vesede Elio Zucha. That was the end of that story. There is a Tosus here. Let's see the top Tosus. Since there was an interruption, uh, the days in between, this work called Elio Rabba and Elio Zucha is split into two. Before, he learned four times as much. That's why the first time is called Elio Rabba, and the second time is called Eliyahu Zucha, the small one. <coughs> Not everybody learns this Elio as Elio Anavi, but it certainly sounds like it from our Gemara. That's the, uh, who else can come back as an angel? Uh, but the bottom line is, a uh, person has to be careful not to do bribes, and has to be careful that justice is served, and because Revanan uh, indirectly was involved in a case of justice not being served properly, just that he's the uh, litigant was shushed a little bit, uh, was um, uh, therefore he got this treatment. Okay. Um, next, Vahine Eliyozich, Bishnei de Rev Yosef. That's where we left off. In the years of Rev Yosef, Have Riska, there was anger. Rashi, Kasho Makam, four lines, Ubo Rav Lolam. God was angry with the Jewish people and he brought a famine. It was a time of, of, of famine. Amrle Rabbi Yosef, the rabbis said to Rev Yosef, Libai Mar Rachme. Maybe you should daven. Maybe you should have big prayer sessions and uh, get Hashem to change his mind. We could use a little rain here. Amrle, he said to him, Hashta Maya Elisha, Diki Havirabadu, Mifta becoming. The great Elisha who also uh, had a great academy, was a great teacher. And when the rabbis would leave in front of him, have a push, tray, alfin, there would be 2,200 students left after everybody left. Meaning they, that uh, uh, they, people would come to learn and study from him, all, uh, huge crowds. But even when everybody left, you still had 2,200 left. Uh, and the uh, rabbi, scholars who were studying with the Rabbanu, and be eaten riska, and at a time of anger, you don't find that he davened, lo havi boy rachme, and had he davened, it would have worked. Ana iboy rachme. In other words, I, we had, a, there's an example in Tanakh of a time of anger, and you don't see that they tried to get Hashem to change his mind. So if the great Elisha, who had so many thousands of students, didn't try, why should I try? That was what he said to him. And how do you know how many thousand students were left? Um, so I remember, I, I learned in a great yeshiva, it was, in, it was Tel's yeshiva, it was one of the major yeshivas, and, and it's still a great yeshiva, but it's a smaller yeshiva than it was at that time. But uh, even after everybody left, there was always people there. <laughs> there were students from South Africa and Australia who had no, couldn't go home, they couldn't afford to go home, uh, South America... Uh, and uh, they, even after everybody, there was always somebody learning there. There was always, even during Benazmanim, you always find somebody there. Uh, wasn't huge, but there was always somebody there. So uh, you could judge a yeshiva by how many, when yeshiva's not in session, who's left. It's just interesting how the Gemara phrases it. So uh, uh, how do you know that there was that, that, where do we get that number from? You see, if it says like this, Mishosa. So actually, the reason we got on this subject is, we were quoting that Pusik before about the Bikurim, where somebody brought food to 
uh, feed the yeshiva. It says like this, when he brought the food, he had an executive director, his mishuris, and he said, He said, how am I going to give this food to 100 people? He, he, the executive director was complaining that the donation of those 20 loaves isn't going to go very far. Um, where you have this large group of students, how are you going to give them so little food? So, my lifnei meish, what's the big deal with 100 people? If that's the whole group, 100 people, and you have 20 loaves of bread, 20 loaves of bread, 100 people, bishnei bitzuras, in the times of famine, tuvahavi, that's pretty good. That's not bad. Uh, a loaf of bread for uh, um, every five people gets a loaf. That's not bad. So, Ella the Kolchad Bechad Kame Meish. What it meant was that there was one loaf of bread for every hundred people. So, you see that there was 2,000 students. So, that was, uh, you see from there how many students they had. Uh, now, the Gemara just wants to discuss were there other great yeshivas that had numbers like that? When the rabbis would leave Rav, year round, he had 1,200 Rabbanon who were there. He had only a measly 800 students, Rabbanon. Rabbanon, his yeshiva was so large that he needed 13 speakers to, to, to teach the words. Rashi, who would hear it directly from him, they didn't have microphones, they had people with loud voices, and they would uh, hear from him and announce to everybody what he said. Let's finish that, Rashi. You'd have one guy on this side and one guy on that side, one guy inside, one guy outside, and they would, there were so many people, what, the voices wouldn't carry. So they had to have 13 uh, announcers would go from, in order to spread the teaching. That's how you have those thousands and thousands of people. When the rabbis would get up, they would sit on the floor. And when you sit on the floor, your, your, uh, uh, your cloak gets dirty. And it's not nice to walk around with a dirty cloak. So they would shake their cloaks when they got up. There would be like a cloud from all the cloaks that were uh, going. The Kisei Le Liom had covered the sky. And you could see this cloud in Eretz Israel, and they'd say, Oh, come and lay Mesifti Ravuna, Bavloi. They would say, Oh, Ravuna's students, uh, uh, Ravuna's students were getting up. And Bavlo, Kimifti Rabbanu, Be Rav Rav Yosef, when they would leave the great academy of Rav and Yohapish, there were 400 students left, Rabbanu. And they called themselves orphan compared to what there used to be. When they left the Academy of Abaye, and some people say, there was only 200 students left. Orphans of orphans. Uh, because there were so few that were left compared to the earlier uh, generations. Uh, I took from this interesting thing is that there were the year, the year-round students, but then you... They, the, uh, the, the regular people would go to study at the yeshivas uh, uh, besides them. In other words, those were the ones that were left. But uh, the, um, we have this idea that you graduate, you know, you, you leave an institution. 
In those days, you never left an instant. Why would you leave your yeshiva? You would come back from time. You had to go make a living, but you still came back. So the students that were there, those were just the ones that were there year-round, but the ones that came from time to time were unlimited. I've been to cities where uh, the uh, students uh, who long graduated would come back to the, the yeshivas and uh, would attend classes. That was just the... Uh, uh, they still were part of that uh, learning in that school, and the school was set up for that, for the uh, uh, married people to come back and learn at different times. And uh, yeah, um, in some in some places you'll see that you'll have younger students, and you'll see like uh, people sometimes retire and they come back. You know, they can come back to uh, to yeshiv. Okay, uh, now we continue on. Um, so. Uh, we mentioned uh, before that the judges, uh, the the salaries of the judges came from the temple funds. So once we mentioned the temple funds uh, covered certain things, we're now going to give the full list of things that could come from temple funds. So they had veterinarians in the temple who would check out the animals to make sure they were healthy. So uh, they were called mevakre mum. Those were people who checked in the blemishes, the blemish checkers. So uh, we, the blemish checkers in Yushalayim have enough discovery. They were also paid by the temple. And that's a temple service to check the korbanos. Now, the kohanim had to bring the korbanos. And uh, who, uh, who would teach them how to shecht? So they had special schools set up in the, uh, the base of Migdash by Tamidah Chachami to teach shechita the kohanim. So uh, who paid those schools? Who paid the tuition? They, uh, they also were covered by the Trumas Alishka. How about the Kamitza, the give a hand? You know, the Kohanim, they do the, the Kamitza, a very difficult service. You needed to practice the technique. So uh, they had a Kamitza school for Kohanim. They, they also took their Skarmachumasalishka. Who fixed the scrolls? Who who paid the scribes having no discarbage Truma Salishka? That was all covered from the Truma Salishka. Omar Nachman Omar Rab, Nashima Argos, the weaving women, the women that weave the curtains, the Prokas, they also got paid from the Truma Salishka. So you see it was quite a big fund over there. Let's uh, one quick toastless here. Uh, why are we talking about the Kamitsa? What about the fingernail? That's the really tough uh, trishecting a bird with your finger. You know, you need a lot of practice for that. So what about the, what about the Malika school? Why do we only mention the Kohanim had to learn Shkita? And the Kohanim had to learn Kamitsa. What about the school that taught the Malika? Uh, Tosus, the third one from the top. Malan Hilkos Mitzvah, Hilkos Malika. He said, It was taught in the Shkita school. It was a, a subject that was also taught over there. How do, it, it makes sense, yeah. Okay, back to the bottom. <coughs> Uh, Amy, the more has a question. We said that the curtains, the curtain fund came from the shekels that was in the mikdush. I, Vani, Omar, Mikachi, Bedeka, Bias. I say it came from, there was a different fund, the building fund. I say it came from the building fund. Why? The curtains were part of the building. Uh, they, there was one place in the second base of mikdush where they didn't have a wall where it was a curtain. The curtain replaced the wall. So, and therefore, it should come, make sense. It should come from the building fund. Mesve, where's the question? Nasimor, because the parochus, ubeis garmo. 
and also the place, the house of Gormu, where they made the, uh, the incense. Ooh, uh, uh, ooh, and also, uh, I'll, my, I'm sorry, those were the bakers. The Beis Gormu were the bakers that made the special showbread. <coughs> the Beis Antinas, they were the incense uh, house. So all of them, Kula have not discarded Truma Salishka. Who paid them all? They all were paid from the Truma Salishka. So you see that the women weren't getting their money from the building fund. It came from the Truma fund, from the, the, the coins. So the Gemara answered, Hassan bin Devafi. There were different curtains. There were the outside curtains and the inside curtains. The outside curtains, those were not the building. Those were more screens. Those were modesty screens. So those didn't come from the building fund. They came from the temple fund. How do you know there were all these curtains? To Amr of Shlosha Asipro, there were 13 curtains in the second base of Migdash. Shiva, seven connected Shiva Sharim, the seven gates. Each gate had a curtain in front of it. Uh, you didn't want to open a gate and like just see what was happening inside. Um, so Mata, we have this thing also that uh, we knock on doors before we come in, even our own house. We just, you don't just walk in, you give people notes. Echolapiskal Shoeko, one for the door of the Hekov, Echolapiskal Shoeulam. To two on the Dvir, Ubez Keneged, and, and two opposite Ba'aliyah. Let's see, there's a Rashi here about all these curtains, Bidavavi, but Parochus, it's in the middle of the page. Shekeneged Apsachin. There was curtains opposite every door. They were made for modesty. Uh, you didn't want people staring when they opened the doors. Those were not part of the building. But if it was a curtain for the building curtains, that was different. What's a building curtain? The curtains between the sanctuary and the Holy of Holies. It actually replaced the wall called the Troxen. When they rebuilt the second temple, they made it higher. And it, because it was higher, the wall wouldn't stand. Because the wall, in order to uh, make a wall that will stand, it had to be wider. And there was no space to make a wider wall. So therefore, they had to make a curtain instead. The hechel was shortened. They made two curtains, and in between was an amba of space. And that curtain was in... Uh, so the thing was, they had prophets who approved the building structure. So they went to the prophets, and they made a special curtain. That curtain was a building curtain. The other curtains were not building curtains. They were, uh, those were curtains for modesty, or they call them partitions, or uh, other types of... Uh, Structures, those came from the Truma Salishka. Okay, two depth at the bottom, three lines from the bottom. Now, there were these special women that uh, lived on the stone. Uh, basically, they, uh, they, every now and then, they had to bring a paraduma. And in order to bring a paraduma, you had to have people that were totally pure. And uh, if you uh, walked through the city, uh, you could inevitably step over a grave and become <laughs> impure. And we had to be absolutely sure that whoever did the paraduma was totally pure. So what do we do? We uh, had certain women uh, raise their, their children, uh, give birth on a stone. Uh, see, it was a big, you had a big stone that it was impossible to have a grave underneath because the stone was too big to lift in those days. So what would happen was they would have women give birth to children on top of the stone 
and the whole life, the children, until they got older, would be raised on the stone and they would stay pure. So the question was, uh, <coughs> since these women were busy delivering children on the stone, who fed them there? So that, those funds also came from the base of Mignesh. That's opinion number one. Abishol says, no, he says the rich women used to provide the food for them. It's interesting that the women, why wouldn't the men do it? It's, uh, but apparently this was dear to their hearts, that they, they realized how the sacrifice these other women made to raise their children in purity, so the, uh, the, the wealthy women used to donate to that cause. Just interesting, like, you know, why wouldn't the wealthy women donate to all causes and why wouldn't the men donate to the causes? But somehow they were sensitive that the women who were there needed money and they brought them the money. Um, why couldn't their husbands support them? Well, who were the husbands of these women who had birth on the para? I don't know. There is a Rashi, they built special courtyards in stone. And under the stone, was a big stone area. I mean, they cave her at home. This way, there was nobody buried there, like it says. Now, what would happen is when women were pregnant, they would go to the stone and give birth there. And they would raise their children there so when they got older, they could do the paraduma, to be in charge of the burning, and adding the water, and to be spritzers, kol shiva al Hasorfa and on the Kohen who did the burning, like it says over there. Uh, so that was the they. Uh, but according to one opinion, they got paid from the temple funds. Okay, back to the Gemara. For me, they Ravunim Merav as we turn the page. Kol Kleisharis Mahu. Who the temple vessels? Um, you know, anyone who has a kiddush cup, you know, after time they they, they go, they get dented or whatever. They need. Uh, you need to replace them from time to time. So who replaced the, uh, uh, the temple vessels? Where, who paid for them? So Did it come from the house fund? Why? Because you need it for the altar. Or, uh, or do you say it's like a Corbin? Which fund was it? Was it the, the daily fund? And like, like a Corbin? Or was it the building fund? Uh, so where did the vessels, where did the fund to replace the vessels come from? So Amr Lay, a nasa elamitruma salishka. It was not, you can't take from the building fund. It came from the, uh, the, the, the daily fund from the truma salishka. Eisveh, more as a question, the kalosahevi, it's talking about the construction funds for the temple. It says when they finished the collection, they brought the funds to the king. It says that they used the building fund to make the vessels. So you see, it wasn't the Truma Salishka. You're showing off that you know the Havtorah, but you don't know the Ksuvin. It says over there, uh, it says, again, you may have read that in the Ksuvim, and that's a good question, but you didn't read further in the Nevi'im. It says over there, over there, it's, it's talking about the vessels, and it, it says that it came from the daily fund. So you don't ask me a question over there that it came from the building fund. But the Gemara says, but still there's a contradiction. What do you do with the contradiction? Uh, really, it shouldn't come from the building fund. But when the building fund had extra, 
they, uh, they used it for the vessels. So the Morris said, Yeah, but if the money was given for the building, how are you allowed to use it for plates? How are you allowed to use it for other things? So Amarevo lay based in Masna Lehem. The courts made it, uh, they, they, uh, people, when they gave their donation, it was understood if they have extra from the building fund. Today, I hate to tell you, but it's common when they have uh, building funds that they collect more than they need so that there'll be something extra to help take care of that building. Because whenever people build a new building, there's additional expenses that they're not used to paying. And if they build a big, beautiful building, and then just all of a sudden, and what happens is when people uh, make donations to building funds, uh, they're depleted. So then they stop giving daily funds. And many institutions have trouble. So it's become the practice, don't want to give away too many secrets, but when they always tell you they need these, this many millions or thousands uh, for the new building, included in that is something extra to, to, uh, to do some upkeep. What would be the case if you took that building fund and used it to pay down a mortgage? Is that us for like crazy? So it depends on if you have this lave based in Masna Lehem. If you have, do people give with the understanding that the board can uh, decide? In other words, uh, um, uh, so certainly with the base of Migdosh, Revo taught that people give with the, as long as it's on the up and up, as long as the people who are working in good faith uh, use it to the best use, then it's okay. Whereas sometimes people don't give uh, to, uh, they specifically say what they wanted to go for. So then you have no right to uh, right. Change, the, change the funds. So, if they needed it for the building, it was used to the building. If not, you use it to buy the, uh, I think I remember when they did the building, they bought like uh, new, when they redid the kitchens, they, they bought new, uh, new dishes or new stuff from that, those funds. Uh, actually, I, I don't really know how they did the funding, but I, I assume they, they, that was also part of it. He says, no, the vessels come not from the building fund, they come from the daily fund. What's kesef that has leftovers? Usually you collect for the building and that's it. There's no leftover building. The answer is that's the truma salishka. Every year you had from the truma salishka. Okay. Yeah. <coughs> They translated it as chamber. They translated it as chamber, chamber, like the, there was a special room where it was kept. Uh, that's, uh-huh. I just know how we've always translated it as chamber, but I don't know what the source is. That's a good point. Uh, Yes, yeah, but what's the source of the word? Where is that word? Come? What's the meaning of the word lishka? Is is what Dr. Yaffe is asking. Um, so I can't tell you, but typically we say it's the money that was kept in a special chamber, kept in the the, the bank in the temple. So the Morris said, "Well, how do you know that's what it is? Maybe it's from the leftover from the offerings." Ola Ola He says that uh, the word Ola means from the. Um, I skipped a line. Shinamr uh, Asharik. Let's start that line again. Tani dibei Rabbi Shmuel. We learned that the temple vessels came 
from the funds that were in the lishka, that were in the chamber. It says the, rem, the money that there was a remnant, which money has leftovers? In other words, that's where all the money was kept. Whenever you took, there were other funds left. The Amy Shirayim Gufa. Maybe you only use leftover money. How do you know that you could take the principal money and use that for the vessels? Maybe it only leftover from the temple funds. Kedomarava, no, it says Ola Ola Rishona. It meant the money when it came in could be used. Hakanami Hakesev Kesev Rishon. Even the even the money that was donated directly, you didn't have to wait and see if there were leftovers from the offerings. You could use that money to replace the klishos. Meisvei, where's the question? Torahs v'kol karbanos the incense and all the karbanos boy mitrumas alishka. They came from lishka. Mizbeach hazavu levono klishos, the gold altar and the frankincense and the klishos boy mimosin nisachin. They came from the liquid funds. Mizbeach ola. The Mizbeach Ola Halishkos Oros, they came from the building funds. Chutz Lachomas Azora, boy, what's what about outside the walls? That came from Mishari Halishkos. That came from the uh, leftovers that was in the other chambers. So basically, there were multiple funds and very specific about which things could come from which funds. Zui Shaninu Chomas Ir the walls of the city and the towers, the Kotzeh here, they came from Mishari Halishkos. So that's, that doesn't fit with what we said. So the Gemara said, Tanoihi. There are multiple opinions about this. Most of Truma Mayosimbo. What did they do with the leftover Truma? He says, Bo Rikuizov. They did the gold plates. Now, you have to understand that there was a lot of smoke in the temple. And there was also a lot of wear and tear. And so things needed to be replaced. So the gold was very thin. It needed to be replaced apparently once a year. So they would, uh, they, the leftover truma they would use for Sipu Lebez Kaddish Gadashim to replace the gold. Rishmul says, Moser Peres Lakaitz Mizbeach. The leftover fruits uh, were used for the, uh, to, uh, the dessert, they call it. Basically, when there was nothing uh, being offered at the temple, it's always nice uh, to have something burning, so to speak. So they brought karbanas. Moser Truma Lakishar. So Akiva says, Moser Truma Lakaitz. No, that went for the Mizbeach. Most of the Sakhim that went to Klishoris. Rechanina Skanakanamo says no Sakhim Lakaitz Mizbeach. Most of Truma Lakishoris. So we have multiple opinions here about which funds covered which things. Vizel Vizelo Motive Paris. They didn't admit about what uh, the fruit fund, what that was used for. The Morris said, Paris, what's that? Mahi, it's none. Most of Truma, what did they do with the leftover Truma? Maya Osin, I Osin Bola Kukin Paris. They would buy food cheaply, and they would raise the price. And who wouldn't want to buy food from the temple? Vaskar, and, and the, the profit that they made, they used it to keep the altar uh, full. That's what it means, the leftover fruits. They basically, basically they would buy the fruits and they, could, uh, they, uh, they charged and they made money. So then, why did they argue? Why didn't they admit that you could use these funds for the Tanan? What do they do with the left eye? He says they used to buy wine and oil and flour and sell it to people to use for the Karbanas. The base of English could be very profitable if it was run well. Rabbi Kiva said, No way. He said,
you can't make profit. The base of English was not in the profit business. Um, not a grocery store. Not a grocery store, that's right. <laughs> it's interesting, you know, like it was a service when people came up and they brought a Corbin this way, they wouldn't have to buy it outside. They could go and buy it in the base of English. And the base of English would charge a little extra and could fund the whole thing, right? But maybe Kiva says no. I, I don't know, wonder why they couldn't research this, you know, like ask somebody who was there, you know, like they, uh, but apparently that, uh, we're not sure how it was done. So, Aflo Bisholaniyam, and he says the, uh, uh, you don't make money on Hegdish, and he said also charities to, shouldn't invest the money of the poor to make money, Bishol Hegdish. This is a debate also, like, Sometimes uh, charities can use all the money that they make instead of always needing donations. If they invest it wisely, then they could uh, fund the charity from the investments. So Rabbi Kiva was against the temple investing funds and against the temple investing, uh, uh, charities investing money. My timer. So in the temple, you don't do it. You don't try to make a dime. The temple is the place of Hashem's blessing. You don't try to be stingy and make money. That's not, not appropriate in the temple. That's Rebbe Kiva's view. Bishnel and Nia, my time alone. And what's the problem with making money on poor people's funds? He said, Dilma, you're going to invest their money and the poor people are going to need it. And you're going to say, sorry, it's all invested. The, the purpose of the money is to help them. And if you're going to reinvest it and do building projects and other things, the money won't be there to invest. I won't be there to help the poor. So you have to primarily leave it there to take care of the poor. Okay, we will stop here. Some interesting discussions uh, here about the use of these uh, holy funds and what they could cover and what they uh, can't cover. Um, I do know there are some uh, charity organizations that uh, it gets a challenge to have to collect the same money every year. Why not collect a, a larger amount of money and, uh, and invest it in something that will provide funds for the institution. So specifically over here, we're saying you shouldn't do that with money that's to feed the poor, because if the poor are hungry, they won't have it. But if you collect separately, not, not a fund to feed the, the poor, but for the institution to have revenue from, that's not a bad idea. Uh, and uh, there were, there, uh, the Panovich Rav was famous for that, uh, he funded fully the Panovich Yeshiva. He made a cemetery and he made stores and he bought real estate. So he knew that when he would pass away, there wouldn't be people like him who would be able to keep it going. And so he wanted to make sure. So what did they do is they opened additional institutions that they needed to fundraise for. <laughs> but there are some institutions that were actually well-funded, that uh, uh, they, people the, did things in order to ensure that they would be well-funded in the future. But uh, if it means, though, not taking care of the poor, then you're not doing what you're set up for. You're not meant to be a business. It's an interesting discussion. Okay. Have a great day, everybody.